Just take your seats. Would you take out your Bibles? The reason that we've come is to study His Word. Amen? Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4. We'll pick up in verse 8 in a message that I've entitled, No Turning Back. Amen? The Apostle Paul is using a very specific reference here because he's talking about Jewish people returning back to Judaism. And, and while that is the focus of this passage, there's a much more important application that we need to look at because every person in this room has a BC, amen? A before Christ, what you were before you came into a right relationship with God the Father through Christ the Son. Before you became a believer, you were an unbeliever. Before you gave your life to the Lord by grace and through faith, you were a non-believer, maybe even in having faith at all. And so when you did not know Christ, which this passage begins, uh, you acted like an unbeliever, strange, amen? You, you actually went after the things of the world, the things of the world were the only life you knew. And so now Paul is going to use this as an example, which we will broaden slightly, to include all of those things which might be attractive to us, those things which we would worship. You see, the Jewish people had a monotheistic religion, the world's only monotheistic religion at the time, believed in one true God. And in the expression of that monotheism, they had the world's only organized religion revolving around a single God. It was called Judaism. And in Judaism, they had a very organized religion that had a temple on the Temple Mount, amen? And so here where, where this passage speaks into our life, you had a before you came to Christ experience and you were worshiping something. For the Jewish people, it was the law, it was religion, it was, it was an organized system whereby they thought they could relate to God, but ultimately all that organized system of religion did was showed them exactly how lost they were, how far away from God's standards they actually dwelt. And for us, maybe we look at that in a little different sense. Uh, when you were involved in that party lifestyle, you probably woke up at some point in time going, man, I, I, there's no God here. You were in that relationship with that person you're not married to, and you're going, well, I'm kind of worshiping this now, but this isn't exactly fulfilling my life. And so the Apostle Paul is gonna to speak to us a message I believe many of us in this room today need, and that's the essential of not turning back towards the things of the world. Would you pray with me? Father, we again just turn our attention to you, King of heaven, send your Holy Spirit to speak life into your own word. God, would it minister to us, would we know what your spirit wants to say to us individually? Lord, as we gather together today, we ask you to speak to us, your children, and we ask this in the blessed name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Verse 8, Galatians 4, and we'll take down to verse 20. But then indeed, when you did not know God, and there's the reference to your B.C. days, you're before Christ days. Some of you were even religious in those before Christ days. When you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. And you're probably saying to yourself, well, I don't have a stone idol in my living room. Maybe you don't have a picture on the wall of some false god. 
But how many people in our day and time worship the false gods of self? Money, power, passion, possession, position, those things which are very attractive to the flesh. Some of us already have been delivered from everything and some of us are still struggling with maybe some of those same false gods. Perhaps it's not Zeus on Mount Olympus. Perhaps it's not Romulus, the Roman god of war. Perhaps you came in today and you're not worshiping Gaia, the mother earth goddess. Maybe you, you actually have a, a different god and you're worshiping that God, and that God to you is still very much God. Might even be a person. And here's the shocker, that might even be you. Maybe you're here today and you're worshiping the God of self. You see, that is the God for most Americans. It's the God of me. I, I'm, I, I got it. I'm the center of my own little universe. And what matters is what matters to me. And what I worship is what serves me and makes me feel good. There's probably a few of us in this room that are still dealing with that God. Maybe the scriptures are speaking to you today. You see, the apostle Paul now goes on to clarify exactly what the Lord wants us to hear. But now after you have known God, and so there's the contrast, there's the differentiation before and after, or rather are known by God, because God certainly knows you, you were his beloved before the foundation of the world, amen? He's called you, he's moved in your life, he's worked to draw all men unto himself. In case you hadn't noticed, there's nothing you can hide from him. Whether you go to the depths of, of, of the pit itself, David said, there he is. So God knows everything about you and he knows where you worship. How is it that you turn again to the weak and the beggarly elements? You, you see, we didn't realize that our false gods were actually weak, that they couldn't satisfy. Oh, we thought that relationship was gonna be everything we hoped for and dreamed. We believe that that drug, we, we believe we just get a little bit higher, we'll be a little bit better. We get a little bit richer, we'll be a little more well-liked by other people. You see, we have a propensity God has created within us, a desire to worship. The question becomes, who is it that you will worship? What will you worship? Not will you worship, because you will worship somewhere. Are you going to turn again to the beggarly things that you used to worship? You see, because drugs are beggarly. Alcohol is beggarly. It's a terrible master. It's unworthy of your worship. Money may be one of the worst things that one can worship, and yet how many have sold their soul on the altar of wealth? Or as we see in our country today, the, 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 the altar of power. How many people today worship at the altar of power? If I just exercise this authority over other people, well, that will make me have value somehow. Scripture is speaking to us, don't, don't turn back. Don't go back there. 
to which you desire again to be in bondage. Do you want to be in bondage to those things again? You see, we didn't see it. As Romans 1 plainly declares, God can be known by the things that are made. We can serve another God. We, we can live our lives apart from God. God doesn't force anyone. But we also know that those things are futile. We, we look at that life and we go, man, this just really isn't fulfilling me. One of the things I'm constantly faced with when I deal with people is this issue of fulfillment in their life. They'll say, well, it's just not fulfilling. I, I have this great career. I have this wonderful home. I have all these things. I got a bank full of money, but there's still a hole in my heart. There's still something. That something, that place is supposed to be the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you feel that way. That's why that hole is there. And he goes on to help us understand this now in verse 10 by saying, you observe days and months and seasons and years, but I'm afraid for you, lest I've labored for you in vain. And now remember his audience is decidedly Jewish. And they were leaning on the celebration of feast days. As beautiful a picture as they were of the finished work of Jesus Christ, they were still worshiping the feast days. In other words, they were worshiping at the wrong altar. That was their problem then. And maybe you're here today and you say, well, you know, I've, I've never celebrated Yom Kippur. I, I haven't celebrated the Feast of Trumpets. I've never been in a synagogue. So how does this apply to me? Because you undoubtedly have served at the altar of some other false god, just not that false god. Because God never said that the law could save. The ultimate conclusion of the Jewish law was that it could atone. That simply put away for another day the justice, the holiness, the righteousness of God. One day would come when you'd have to still pay up, so to speak. You see, the law couldn't take that away. And so Paul is now saying, look, even under the law, we actually had a date with destiny, and it was not good. One day, we were still going to have to give an account for every idle word. There would be a time of reckoning before a holy God, and all of those cumulative days of atonement were not going to erase the sin and cause them to be forgiven. So why would you want to turn back to anything that sets you back to that point in time when you were weak and beggarly under the law? Because the law could never save you. It couldn't do that. It could just simply tell you exactly how bad the problem was. The deeper I got into the law, the more I understood, don't meet that, don't meet that, don't meet that, I fail at this, and this is not good. Brethren, brethren, church, family of God, I urge you to become like me, the Apostle Paul says, for I became like you. You haven't injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I, I preached the gospel to you at first. In other words, I couldn't go where I wanted to go. I stopped along the way. That's how you got preached the gospel. And my trial, which was in my flesh, 
You did not despise or reject it. It's believed that the Apostle Paul had contracted most likely malaria in the region of Pamphylia, a swampy area in Asia Minor. One of the results of contracting malaria is very often a severe eye disease. It causes the weeping of the eyes. It can cause blindness. And so here's this guy who's probably five foot four, a little on the tubby side. He's not eloquent of speech. He's got runny eyes and he's preaching the gospel. He says, really obvious, you didn't listen to me because I was some wonderful specimen of humanity. There was truth. You didn't despise it, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Jesus Christ, because the message was from heaven. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? What was it that you got out of that? Was it religion? Was it Jewishness? Did I come to you again and preach that you need to make sure you make it on Passover to Jerusalem? No, the Apostle Paul preached the grace of God. Faith in the only begotten Son of God. Salvation by grace through faith. That was the message. That, that was the blessing. They had had religion. For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And there's the reference to the problem that undoubtedly the Apostle Paul, he was near blind by this time. Eventually he will actually write in his letter, I, I write with these large letters because I can't see. And so they had gotten the truth of the good news of the gospel and they're starting to walk that back. They're, they're gonna go back where they came from. You are not saved by religion or religious works. You are saved by relationship, by grace, through faith in the only begotten Son of God. That was true then, it is true today. You're not saved by your church attendance. You're not saved because you've been given the right hand of fellowship. Or in some cases, the, the left boot of unfellowship. You know, you, we have a tendency to look at what man does and say, well, if man does it, it must be okay with God. No, God's saying, look, you have been saved by grace through faith and that's the only way that you have a right relationship. Why would you want to go back to the works of the law? Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? You know, when you tell people about the grace of God when they're heavily embroiled in religion, they actually get a little upset. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's like, man, you're messing with my religion. Jesus messed with religion. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came that the world through him might be saved, amen? He, he brought us into a right relationship with God the Father by giving his own life in his, in our place, he died on Calvary's cross. It's not religious. It's relational. We now have a right relationship with God the Father because of the death, burial, resurrection, and the shed blood of the Son. Amen? And so Paul's saying, don't go back to the beggarly things that you used to do. They zealously court you. Now he starts to tell them the truth. He said, look, they're coming after all y'all. 
They're going to camp out in your front yard. They're going to be setting up shop. They're going to come knocking. They're going to come calling. Any of you in here had the world come calling at your door? Here's how it happens. Facebook. Instagram. Old boyfriend. Old girlfriend. Your party hardy friends. That old softball team where you were the star. (laughs) And they're knocking on your door and they're saying, hey, come on back. We miss you. We miss you. We're your real friends. Remember all the good times we used to have together? You start thinking to yourself, you ever noticed how in your mind the truth never comes back? You don't remember the time when you were laying in the front lawn of your friend's house in your own vomit. Remember that? You see, you remember the time when you were the life of the party. Yeah, people used to call me all the time. You, you had the hookups. The old neighborhood's calling. People that you knew are saying, come on back. Man, ever since you turned into that Jesus freak, you've been weird. There's something seriously wrong with you. It's like, man, you don't do those things anymore. And you're going, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, yes and amen. Amen? You see, but the enemy's trying to tell you, look, you need to come back. It's like this Jesus thing's not working out for you. So you really trust God by grace and through faith? What is wrong with you? You can't toke it, you can't smoke it on Jesus. People don't even like you anymore. Yeah, the wrong kind of people don't like me anymore. Because I mess up their parties every time. I never get invited to stuff like that anymore. I don't know why. Could be the preacher in me a bit. They zealously court you, but for no good. That's true. Both ways. They mean no good, and it's no good for you either. Yes. They want to exclude you. That you may be zealous for them. You ever noticed how the people that used to kind of run in your little posse are always telling you about how, how good it really is? They're kind of, well, you, you should want to come back. I mean, after all, look at us. You're going, say what? <laughs> but it's good to be zealous in a good thing always. Amen? Not only when I'm present with you, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. It's like, look, if we gotta go through these elemental things again, I'm gonna take you right back to where you just were. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, but I have my doubts. And so Paul says, look, those false gods don't go there. Why would you go back to that? Why would you go back to childish things? Why would you run back to the elemental things of this world? 
You know, people have always had that propensity, haven't they? Look at the children of Israel. They're delivered by God from 400 years of slavery, right? They're making mud bricks, no straw. Now, just in case you don't understand exactly why the straw is important, the straw was what held the bricks together. The bricks fell apart, so you would be making the bricks, and without the straw, the bricks would fall apart, so you got to go back and make that brick again. It's like completely, totally useless, your work. You're just sweating in the hot sun. And so God delivers them. Not only that, he takes them out of bondage. And they're in the wilderness. What's the first thing that we hear about them? Oh, man, I want to go back to Egypt. <laughs> you can almost see them stomping their feet. It's like, we're going, I want some meat, I want some onions, and we had leeks, and you know what they forgot about? The lash. They forgot about the pain. They forgot about the sorrow, the anguish, the hot sun, the lack of everything in there. They completely forgot, but they were willing to go back to it because of the lie of the enemy. The enemy's going to lie to you, too. He's going to tell you, oh, it was, it was better. Just get rid of this Jesus thing. And ever since you became a Christian, you've had nothing but problems in your life. You know what? Sometimes that's our reality, isn't it? Anybody had a problem because you came to faith in Jesus? I have. You know, you probably got maybe denied a job. Maybe you got denied a mortgage. Maybe you didn't get that car you wanted. Maybe some really bad things have happened in your life. And the enemy's going, see, if you just go back to Carnal City... If you come back to serving me, I'll give you some hookups. You know that didn't work on Jesus? That's exactly what Satan said to Jesus. Look, man, you come on back to me, I'll give you some hookups. See the kingdoms of the world down there? I'll give you all those. You're a little bit hungry, but out here in the wilderness for 40 days, you want something to eat? Why don't you just talk to them stones? You see why I'm saying this? Satan's not changed his tactics. He's still working the same way. He's saying, look, come on over. Come on back. Paul, of course, is promoting salvation by grace. He's saying, look, you, you were in the religion. You were the most religious people on the earth. And you were also miserable and unsaved. Why would you go back to that? Every time you came into Jerusalem, you were worried about what the high priest was going to require of you. And God's saying, look, I want to set you free. If you will confess your sin, I will be faithful and just to forgive it and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That temple can't do that. You see, what he's really saying is, I beg you. I beg you. Walk in grace. I'm begging you. Look, I've given my life. I've done everything I know how to do. And Paul, in this passage, lists what you can see are three areas to where he has just said, look, I don't know what else to do for you to tell you about the grace of God. I have paid a huge physical price. The Apostle Paul, when you read his story, we're, we're at the end of his story in 2 Corinthians. We're going to find out the dude shipwrecked three times. Not once, not twice, three times. He's left for dead. 
He's given 40 lashes minus one at least three times. He has no home. He's lost his family. He's paid a huge price. That's how committed he is to the grace of God. He says, look, I, I was a Pharisee. I knew the law forwards and backwards. As a Hebrew, I was without blemish. I was as good as their gets. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a Jew. And I'm telling you, that couldn't save me. But I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he said to me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? I said, who are you, Lord? You see, why would you ever want to go back to the place that you've been saved from, from the life you've been saved from, from the place that was death? Why go back to that? The question in verse nine is one we have to ask ourselves. Now that you know God, why would you turn back again to anything? Any false God, no matter what that false God is named. And we can spend the next 30 minutes just naming off false gods. Gods that promise what they cannot give. Because that's the truth about that other husband that you think might be better than the one you currently have, ladies. That's the truth about that other wife that you think is going to be hotter than the one you currently have, guys. You see, we could go on for hours talking about the things that we might want to cash in our faith in Jesus Christ for. And Paul's saying, don't even think about it. It ain't worth it. Walk in that grace. He paid a mental price. I'm sure some of you have paid that same price. You know, it's not fun being ostracized from your family, amen? I'm sure there are a bunch of you. I know I have been. There's a lot of things I don't get invited to anymore. Oh, Pastor Jeff's going to come. See, I'm no longer the son. I, I'm, not, I'm not the brother. I'm Pastor Jeff. The Jesus freak. All he talks about is Jesus. And it's like, so, no. It's months, it's years sometimes before I even hear from some of my family members. That's a mental price. I have to go, is it worth it? You better believe it is. Amen? You, you keep on keeping on. You keep rolling. You keep moving forward. Don't turn back. It's worth it. You're gonna pay a price. And you're gonna pay a spiritual price too. The devil's got your number. And I'm not one of those people that likes to overemphasize the power of the enemy, but he is powerful. And he's got a host of demons to do some of his other work that he doesn't wanna do personally. And on top of that, he's got a world system. And here's the real stinker, he's got your flesh. Amen? So the enemy's over there kind of twisting your flesh a little bit, going, you know what? You should go back. It was a whole lot better when you weren't this Jesus person. Why don't you abandon that whole grace and faith thing and go back to the whole crack thing? 
Why don't you just run on back to that relationship? You know, ever since you met this girl that loves Jesus, man, it ain't been so good for you anymore. You see, that's the enemy trying to tell you that you messed up. And the Lord's trying to tell you through the Apostle Paul, don't you even think about going back where you once were. Because you weren't happy there. You weren't fulfilled there. Walk in his grace, no matter what the price is. If it's physical, pay it. If it's mental, pay it. If it's spiritual, pay it. It's worth whatever you pay. Have you ever wondered why Jesus, when he came to Jerusalem there in Luke chapter 13, said what he said? I want you to think about this for a moment. His people were actually called by his name. They were Israel, governed by or ruled by God. But were they? They were not. They were ruled by religion. They were ruled by the high priest and the quorum of the 70, known as the Sanhedrin. They were ruled by a religious system that put forth laws which they had so extrapolated that they now have 613 individual component parts of it. And so what does Jesus say? He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. City of peace. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. That was Messiah. What were the prophets doing? They were telling him about grace. Abraham was a man of faith. He wasn't a man of religion. Abraham was wandering through the desert most of his life. And wherever he got and he was going to stay there, the first thing he did was built an altar to the Lord. You, you see, Jesus said, how often I wanted to gather you together as children like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would have none of it. He said, I wanted a relationship with you. I want religion with you. I wanted to know you personally, but you didn't want that. You see, people just simply wanted religion. They wanted a place to worship. Now it's good to come to the house of the Lord, amen? I've had an amazing time. How can you not love what God's doing in our church? I've had an amazing time today. I'm worshiping the Lord, I'm going, man, I love this. But I didn't come because it's religion. I came because I have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he's worthy of that praise. He's worthy of that honor. He is worthy of all glory and honor and praise, his word says. Amen? I don't get that by religion. Stained glass can't do that for you. A gold-gilded altar cannot do that for you. You can, you can end up worshiping the building and forget the one it's supposed to be occupying it. Amen? So for us, I beg you, 
as Jesus agonized over that rejection of the offer of grace, pictured in the, the writing of the book of Hosea, think about it. Can you imagine? I want you to marry a prostitute. That's how the book begins. It's like, look, I want to I jack up your life a little, little bit. Go marry Gomer. You know why that's so perfect? Because we're all Gomers. We've, we've all wandered away. We all follow after the strange. We, we go the way we're not supposed to go. And here comes the Lord Jesus saying, I love you anyway. I don't love you because you're religious. I don't love you because you dress right. I don't love you because you live in the right place. I don't love you because you have money. I love you because I love you. Amen? You see, so Jesus agonizes when we flee grace. When we run away from faith. When I say with my life, well, that's not good enough for me. I need something else. You see, grace will bring you also into truth. And that truth is going to be hard to swallow sometimes, isn't it? Now, can I tell you as a pastor, people love me when I agree with them. But when I tell them something they don't want to hear, all of a sudden our relationship shifts a little bit. I can't believe you said that to me. Well, actually, I didn't. The Bible did. And because the Bible said it, God said it. And if you've got a problem, go talk to him. You see, hopefully, that's going to put you in contact with God's grace. Because here's what's going to happen. When you agree with God, you're going to go, okay, what's the solution? What's the solution to my dilemma? Because I know I'm a sinner for all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. Amen? There's none righteous, not one. Every last one of us has turned into our own way. We've all, like sheep, gone astray. Amen? The question is, what do I do with that? Do I run to some religious endeavor of works to where I go in and I you know, make my sacrifice before the Lord and I try and get even by doing things for him? Or I fall on my face and say, God, save me. God, save me from myself. Forgive my sins. There are many. Or do I say, well, I already took care of that myself. You know, after all, I went on a mission trip 10 years ago. That squared me away for at least 40 years. I'm good. I'm good. Me and religion, me, we got it going on. And God's saying, no. You need your sins forgiven. You need to be cleansed. You need to be made white as wool. And, and that isn't going to happen because you're religious. That's going to happen because the stumbling stone falls on you and you are broken before the holy God. And then you cry out and say, well, how do I fix this problem? And here comes Jesus. Believe on me and you'll be saved. It's not about your religious endeavor. It's about you coming into a right relationship. And so Paul closes and we'll close with this. He just simply warns them. He says, look, Here's the problem. The old you is going to eagerly seek you, and it's not going to be for good. You, you cling to the Lord. You cling to grace. You cry out to God and say, God, I, I can't do this myself. I need you. 
I need God. I need the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. I need the Holy Spirit in my life. I need for God to do for me those things which I cannot do for myself and no amount of my religious effort is ever gonna accomplish that goal that only Christ can do. You see, some of you here are actually better than me. Readily admit that. As a human being, there are, there are probably quite a few of you in this room that on a practical level, we could look at how you live your life and how I live my life and we could go, yep, yeah, you're better. I'm just giving you props, you're better. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. But here's the problem. It's not good enough. You being better than me proves nothing. Amen? It's not that hard to do. But what is really hard to do is to be like Jesus without Jesus. Amen? So you need Jesus to be like Jesus. That comes by grace and through faith. That doesn't come by your works. The works of the flesh can't justify anyone. You're never gonna be like Jesus because you worked really hard. Now if you are saved, you're gonna work to be like Jesus. That's the glorious other part of it. It's called sanctification. Becoming a little more like him. Every day and in every way. But getting there without him can't happen. And so Paul says, look, here's my desire for you. I just want you to walk in grace. Whether I'm there or without you, the Holy Spirit of God is able to keep you. And I want you to walk in that grace. I want you to desire what God wants for you. I want you to be found in him. You see him just as he would write to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter three. He says, look, right now we're just seeing kind of what we're supposed to be in a mirror. And it's like that mirror in the morning after you've taken a shower. You kind of go, well, I think I'm in there somewhere. But God sees you complete in Jesus, by grace, through faith. Amen? Amen. Would you stand and we'll pray together. And as we draw our time to a close, I, I would be horribly remiss after having presented the basic gospel to not ask some of you today if the Holy Spirit hasn't spoken to you and perhaps you've never relinquished control of your own life. You, you've relied on religion up to this point. Maybe you thought you were a child of God because of the people you associate with. Maybe your grandmother's fourth generation has always been believers and you thought that was gonna get you into the kingdom of heaven. You have to profess with your own mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the only way that anyone gets saved. And so I want to ask you, if you're here today and you want to know Jesus, you want to come into that right relationship with him, if that's you, if you would bow your heads with me right now, we're going to begin to pray. In church, believing church, those of you who know the Lord, I'm going to ask you to pray right now for those that don't. If you're here today and you've never invited Jesus into your life to be your savior and your Lord and you're tired of struggling with religion you're tri- tired of struggling against the false gods of this world and you want to know Christ today just simply slip your hand up right where you're at 
I want to pray with you. I see that hand to my left. Praise the Lord. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone at all? I see that hand in the back. Praise God. I see this hand to my right as well. Be bold. Christ went to the cross boldly to pay the price for your sin. He made no bones about what he was doing on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And prior to that, he said, if they will believe in my name, they will be saved. I see this other hand to my left. Praise God. Anyone else? You want to join the family of God right now. Settle your eternity. Before you leave this building, you can begin that walk of grace through faith. I see this hand over to my right as well. Praise the Lord. Praise God. For those of you who have raised your hand, and maybe there are some, it was a little too much for you to raise your hand. And I'm not judging you, neither is God, but you want to pray. Those that have raised your hand, I want you to simply just follow these words. They have to come from you. And so I'm going to say them, but they've got to come out of your heart to God's ears. And so would you just pray these words out loud with me? Dear God in heaven, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I acknowledge that I am a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for the life that I've lived apart from you. And I recognize I need your forgiveness. I believe that you, Jesus, came and died on Calvary's cross for me. And I want to turn from my sin right now. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. Your word declares that if I will confess with my mouth and believe in my heart, that I'll be saved. I confess and I believe. And so, Lord, would you write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life? I believe one day that I'll be raised from the dead into new life. Until that time, help me to walk with you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Enable me to walk in grace. Pray that that grace would grow in my life and increase my faith as I walk with you day by day. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen.